Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Good morning, all. Good morning, everyone. You know, as you may know, we're in our series on the road, which is part of our 2021 theme of pilgrims. So, in this first of three nine talks this morning, I'll start off with that great passage at the beginning of Hebrews 12, just to really frame things up, and then I'll walk through a response that Jesus gave to the Pharisees' question for a sign. You know, in Matthew chapter 12, and then I'm going to illustrate with a short story from my own life of how we can be assigned, you know, in the world around us. And I'll finish, hopefully, with four observations, you know, from all of these experiences. So, first of all, click the slide. There you go. Ah, and again. You know, there's that great passage in Hebrews chapter 12, I'm sure we're all quite familiar with. You know, it says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And who do you think our witnesses are? Another question, how can we lay aside every sin? And what does the race of endurance look like? You know, and if you want, you know, turn in your Bibles or on your devices to Matthew chapter 12, because I think Jesus gives a really good answer to these sorts of questions when the Pharisees come to him and say, Jesus, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And he answers to them and he says, you know, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except, yes, I just realized except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he goes on to say, The men of Nineveh will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the teaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Likewise, the Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon, and now one greater than Solomon is here. Now, so I want to take two different angles that I think Jesus was kind of covering from this passage this morning, you know, for us. Now, the first angle is, what does Jesus expect of the Pharisees? And actually, by extension, what does he expect of us? You know, firstly... In our postmodern era, many people will question, actually, did a big fish really swallow up Jonah? But Jesus actually equated his physical death, his burial, and his resurrection literally with what Jonah went through in the great fish you know, story. So for Jesus, what we believe about him is really, really incredibly important. In fact, it's a vital foundation that then leads the Pharisees to repentance. Now, second of all, Jesus made it really clear that there is a day fixed for judgment. You know, 
Why did he say this? It's because the Pharisees refused to believe that Jesus was actually a sign. In other words, they were not willing to listen to the words of Jesus. And in other words, they were unlike the Queen of the South, you know, who, uh, because they refused to believe the wisdom and the words that Jesus spoke, and because of that, they then refused to repent. The second angle I'd like to take this morning is in what circumstances can Jonah be used by God? And again, by extension, how can we be used? You know, it is said that when you go through the belly of a huge fish, like a sperm whale, the gastric juices literally bleach your skin, your total appearance. So when Jonah traveled on to Nineveh, his eight spoken words weren't actually the whole picture. And here I'm going to quote from you know, John Phillips. Jonah himself was the real message, a living epistle known and read of by all men. People would have started at that frightful place of his, all ravaged and ruined by the gastric juices of the whale. They saw a man who was a veritable incarnation of both the severity and the salvation of God. It filled them with horror and with hope at the same time. And we know the results. The whole city turned and repented. What an incredible thing. At this point, I'm probably sure we're all asking ourselves, you know, how can I possibly be like the sign of Jonah? <laughs> um, and, you know, there's just no way that, Lord, that can happen. So first of all, be encouraged. It's really interesting that Jesus actually used a sign for the greatest work that he ever did came directly from Jonah's own disobedience. You know, likewise, God can use all circumstances in our life, you know, in the same way. Secondly, our experience of life develops empathy, which I think is really important, which means that we will be perceived as compassionate when we share truth with others. And here I'm going to share just a short illustration from my own life. In January 1995, you know, I just finished my second course to train to be a sound engineer in the TV broadcast industry. I was engaged to be married. We both went to a local church here in Auckland, and I'd had a solid Christian upbringing. All in all, you could say it would be fair for you to conclude that life was looking pretty good at the age of 21. However, what can only be described as God's supernatural, you know, allowance of discipline into my life, the very next month I ended up moving to England without my fiancé, without my family. There in London, I tried to find employment in the TV industry. Not successful at all. So I then moved back to my hometown in Solihull in England, which is 100 miles northwest of London. After a few more missteps, which I'll just skip over, <laughs> I then moved back to London. In fact, I think I should be going forward to another slide. Yep, back to London that year. And finally, after some persistence, I found some contract work as a sound engineer in the TV industry. But then a really strange thing started to happen. I found the more and more that I wanted to do this work, the less and less it was appealing to me. And I realized, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So while this realization was kind of dawning on me, then my fiance called me to say from, from New Zealand, our engagement is over. I no longer want to marry you. And that was the end of that. You know, so in the space of six short months, God had allowed my life to be turned you know, absolutely upside down. You know, and out of that painful experience, though, one of the things that God introduced me to is the idea of empathy, because people in life go through struggles. You know, and recently, a young man who I'd never met before, you know, in the last year, came to me asking questions, you know, who is Jesus? 
how can I fix this problem of sin in my life? And what is the meaning of life? You know, this young man had a really good job, you know, but he had looked at what this world had to offer, and he was still not satisfied with what this world had. You know, and he was searching for the meaning of life. You know, as I shared with him from the scriptures, from Romans and Ephesians, you know, we went through lots of passages. I reminded myself to be empathetic to what this young man was searching for. We had a conversation. It was really clear. It was like rivers of living water, not from me, but just from the truths of the scripture. It kind of really gave him a, a sense of hope, a sense of future, and like a light bulb, you know, turning on. So having a sense of empathy is really, really important. You know, so with these concepts of belief, repentance, judgment, and compassion, I'd just like to close with four observations for you and actually for me you know, to consider. Number one, never give up. You know, part of life is experiencing failure, and this actually is apparent from Jonah's own life, but Jonah did, didn't give up, and neither did God give up on Jonah. Number two, trust God even when it is hard. We all know the, uh, the phrase from history, all roads lead to Rome. So Paul actually decided, I need to get to Rome so I can start from there and spread the gospel to all four corners of the known world. But God repeatedly had other ideas, and he kept on stopping Paul from doing this until finally he allowed Paul to go to Rome in chains as a prisoner. Now that really is a place to trust the Lord. The third observation I'd like to make is, Adopt a time frame that goes beyond our own natural lifespan. Some or maybe all of the seeds you sow in this life may take decades or even hundreds of years to produce fruit. In fact, Jesus made this point in John chapter 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And then fourthly, I encourage you, Write down your story. You know, Jonah wrote his story down without editing out any of the unpalatable parts, and here we are, two and a half thousand years later, still actually talking about it. Maybe, just maybe, your written story could be used in God's kingdom now and in the future. Look, God bless you all this morning. I want to thank you for listening, and may the Lord be with you this week. Wasn't that wonderful? I, I do love nines. They, we, we get to know the people and we get to hear perspectives and it's just lovely. So thank you, Matthew. Well done. Well done. Well, Paulina is uh, going to come again uh, and share with us the second of our nines today. You've already met her, obviously, today and she's um, our new operations manager. Um, as she said, she has two children, two daughters, Alicia and um, Eloise, and they're both at Auckland University. Um, Paulina, as you may have uh, um, uh, gathered, is multilingual and um, has worked in a number of leadership roles in different churches, and we'll get to hear about those progressively. She also runs a private counselling practice, so is multi-skilled in her own right, and she's going to speak to you today. Let's give her another hand. Thanks, Nick. again. I just want to show you this beautiful picture that I took in the Bay of Islands. It's just amazing, isn't it? You just, the view, I, it was just such a sense of God's presence. It was a pilgrimage. It was worth getting up. What? Oh. 
technology, eh? Well, I'm going to tell you, um, want to tell you the story of Blind Bartimaeus. Um, you might be familiar with it, or you might not be. So you can find this actually in three of the gospel books. References are there if you want to keep track. So here's a, a painting. It's actually hanging up in the Louvre in, in Paris of the 17th century, that kind of is depicting this scene. Um, so there you have in the background the town of Jericho, which was like an oasis. It, they also called it the City of Palms because of the, the date, palms and um, fig trees. And this is also where you found the story of Zacchaeus in his, up in his sycamore tree. So it was, uh, had a very temperate climate and it was a very rich place with um, King Herod's palaces. But what we're focusing on is um, Jesus' final pilgrimage on his way to Jerusalem where he handed himself in. And he's now, in the previous chapters, he's um, shared three times now that he was going to, to die and raise again. So just a bit of background. Um, so here he is um, with his entourage. Uh, it says a multitude of crowds, so I think there'll be more than, than those people in the scene. Um, and so they're all on their way after their refreshments on an arduous journey to, up to Jerusalem. From this place, it's actually 250 meters below sea level. So um, there you have the blind beggar, Bartimaeus, sitting alongside the road. So he's just he's sitting there begging. And as the story evolves in a very short amount of space, he's sitting there begging, completely desperate. Next thing, he's got an encounter with Jesus and the next minute he's off on his pilgrimage, he's joining Jesus on the road. It's quite mind-boggling, isn't it? Um, yeah, so imagine as you're looking at this, uh, the sounds, the smells, uh, the warmth probably of the place. And I'll lead you through it. So here he is. Blind, beggar, miserable going nowhere. He hears that, um, he's got ears, so he hears, he hears that um, there's a crowd coming and he finds out that Jesus is leading them on. His ears must be working well, he must have heard stories of, of Jesus healing, Jesus performing miracles, um, he must have had some background there. But anyway, he finds out that Jesus is coming by and he starts shouting, crying out. Now, the people that are with Jesus, many of them just tell him to just shut up. Just imagine they just started off on their journey. They don't want to get interrupted by this blind beggar and certainly not want him to disturb Jesus. And, yeah, it's a 30-kilometer walk. Um, it's apparently a 1,200-meter climb. We just walked the pinnacles last weekend, and I thought that was hard on my legs. <laughs> Imagine that on a day's trip. <laughs> yeah. But he just wouldn't let them put him off. He just cried all the louder. He just yells. And um, in a nutshell, he's, um, Jesus is calling him over. He's jumping up, dropping his cloak. Jesus is asking him, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want to see, as if it wasn't obvious. And, and then he, he just follows Jesus on the road, and that's it. That's, that's the story in a nutshell. 
Um, I'm going to read the story to you in a minute. I'd just like you to just maybe think of who you would identify with the most. Maybe you are feeling stuck, you're not going anywhere. You might be feeling hurt, rejected. You might, um, you might feel quite vulnerable to attacks because there he was not going anywhere. I don't know whether he was homeless, but it was certainly not a good space to be. And maybe you're not in a good space. Maybe you're feeling angry, frustrated, wondering where the heck God is. Or since you're all in church, you may well be identifying with the Jesus followers on, on the road there, following Jesus um, with your mission. Or else you might identify more with the observer. I don't know whether you saw in the picture there was, um, there was some people that just obviously just lived there or just happened to be there. Um, not particularly, you know, just, just observing what was going on. So, yeah, find your spot if you can. And I'll just read this passage to you. Um, feel free to close your eyes or just look at the words. They'll be up there. So they spent some time in Jericho. That's Jesus and his followers. As Jesus was leaving town, trailed by his disciples and a parade of people, a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting alongside the road. When he heard that Jesus the Nazarene was passing by, he began to cry out, Son of David, Jesus, mercy, have mercy on me. Many tried to hush him up, but he yelled all the louder, Son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped in his tracks. Call him over. They called him. It's your lucky day. Get up. He's calling you to come. They changed the tune, haven't they? Throwing off his coat, he was on his feet at once and came to Jesus. Remember this picture? This is sunrise. Now, what does it feel like to see the contrast from blind to seeing? I myself can identify pretty well, much with everyone in that story. Um, I grew up in the church, so I called myself a Jesus follower. I was clearly, yeah, a, a Jesus follower. But I got, um, in my late teens, early 20s, I got really put off by these other Jesus followers that didn't really seem to... Um, to live the lives that I would have thought that Jesus would have wanted. They didn't seem to have much mercy, much compassion with, with others, and it just all seemed pretty pointless. So guess what? I turned my back, and, um, and I blinded myself through this, didn't I? With pride and anger, I just became just like them. I just lost all my compassion. I just thought, no, forget church. I was quite angry about it all. Um, and then... I've also become the observer where I just watched other people um, seemingly enjoy church and loving Jesus and, and witnessing to, to me about, about miracles. So I ended up um, in that desperate place um, years later, like blind Bartimaeus, just, just thinking, okay, I've heard enough stories, but what about me? And I took my chance and I cried out to Jesus in despair and I just felt like he just, he just opened my eyes to see. 
And so this picture, for me, symbolizes so well um, the difference. But I want to ask you in a minute to just imagine Jesus is here with you and he's asking you simply, what can I do for you? And you may, like blind Bartimaeus, just say, teacher, Jesus, Lord, I want to see. There's a time in the scriptures where John the Baptist, he was now in prison on a on death roll, and he started now doubting, well, is Jesus really the Messiah? This is John the Baptist who led the way, right? Um, and he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus uh, gave him the message back to John. Tell John the blind eyes, what you're seeing, is what he said. Tell him what you see. The blind eyes will be opened. The lame will walk. Deaf ears will be unstopped. And the death will be raised. So then, because of, the, because of this witness, John knew, because this has been in the scriptures you can read in Isaiah 35 and also 42, for example, where the promise was that the Messiah, the deliverer of the people, was going to open the eyes of the blind and set the captives free and open the ears of the deaf as well. Yeah, I'm just going to give you a few, a few seconds to just, just you ask Jesus. He's right there in front of you. And he says to you, he puts, says, your name, what can I do for you? You may have thought of something, you may not have thought of something. You just just carry that question home with you if you haven't, and let Jesus touch you. Um, perhaps, like me, you may find hope in the fact that Jesus, in the story of the blind Jesus followers, is what I would call it, that his answer was mercy. He had mercy on everybody in the story, and so he will have mercy on us. And sometimes we need to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. And there's one little encouragement that I can take from um, the Sermon of the Mount where Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And that is a, an incredible promise, an incredible hope. So I myself 
I'm afraid I keep stumbling into these places of being stuck and blind and frustrated and following Jesus on the road to becoming the observer until I cry out to God again to purify my heart so that I would see him again and see people through his eyes when I get frustrated with them and to see people give, give me his heart for those around me that may be interrupting me when I'm not wanting to be interrupted. Blind Bartimaeus. Matt, why don't you come up? Matt, you know already. Uh, if you didn't know him already, you've seen him in the service today. Uh, in the rest of his life, Matt is a lawyer. Um, he uh, is an ex-Hibiscus Coast person. He, he loves, uh, Tim Wood, who's our associate pastor, loves to call Matt, says Matt used to idolize him um, as a youth pastor. Um, <laughs> Matt pretty clearly understands that he is the forerunner. He came first from the Hibiscus Coast, and Tim has followed him here. And so, uh, <laughs> so here he is, Matt Butler. I'm, I'm happy to be John the Baptist to Tim's Jesus, so that's all right. Um, yep, I, I stepped out into the desert of the, of the East Coast Bays, and... Um, and journeyed out to Forest Hill, and then Tim followed me. <laughs> um, so I am just going to talk a little bit today on some of the learnings that I've had as the children's pastor here. In particular, well, one, one learning. And I've titled it Reflections on an Ex-Children's Pastor, sadly, and a Serial Overcomplicator. And as my, my lovely mother, who's sitting over there, and my lovely wife, who's sitting over there, can tell you, I am the most frustrating overcomplicator you'll ever meet. Like, something that can be incredibly, incredibly simple, like, ah, oh, that might hurt, will turn into me going down a really long Wikipedia rabbit hole, and as it happened this week, reading a whole bunch of medical, medical journal articles on how much labor, labor pain hurts. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that's the kind of person I am. <laughs> so... Talking about simplicity doesn't, isn't something that comes particularly easy to me, and it's been something that I've really had to learn over the last few years. So yeah, who is, I'm not a simple person, <laughs> and neither do I think that you need to be. I don't think any of us are simple people. I think that we are complex, beautiful individuals that have personalities and, and differences that make us entirely special, and putting us into a box of simplicity is not something that I ever want to do to someone. But yet simplicity lands so easily with so many of us. And that's been my job over the last, over the last few years is trying to take complex things and explain them simply to our, our kids, to primary school age children who, I don't know, don't have the level of education and understanding and comprehension that you sitting here do. So simplicity has been a really important thing for me, explaining things to them. So for me, the meaning of simplicity is actually very relevant to our On the Road series. The, the way that I think of it is, and I can actually say this now because you guys are over the age of 12, who remembers map books? 
How terrible were those things? Like, if you were driving alone in your car, which thank goodness I didn't have to do with one of them, like, how are you meant to read a map book and know where to go? It's a really bad... <laughs> okay, and then you're like going along the road and you're like, okay, this road goes off the edge of the map book. It's not on the next page. It's 25 pages later. <laughs> so... Needless to say, my, um, my dad, who is very directionally challenged, um, mom's smiling in the corner there, <laughs> um, very, very directionally challenged. Like, I mean, the amount of times that I've heard from him on a road that we drove, like, every week, oh, I've never been on this road before. <laughs> um, and, like, thank goodness that we now have something like Google Maps, because Google Maps is what I think simplicity is. And fortunately, it relates very well to our On The Road series. But Google Maps knows every single road in Auckland. But instead of giving you the map book and then the next page of the map book 25 pages later, Google Maps just tells you to take exit 417 for Tristram Avenue, to turn left onto Forest Hill Road, and you will get to 252 Forest Hill Road and be at church on time. Google Maps takes the complexities of the Auckland road system, and it gives us discrete, simple, accessible instructions that we can all understand. And so for me, this is what simplicity has been in my job here, and actually this has been what simplicity has been in my job as a lawyer as well. Often you're having to explain really complicated things that people don't understand, and trying to make them accessible, understandable, and available to everyone. And I think that this is something that Jesus did incredibly, incredibly well. And for me, the, the great example of this is when he's explaining to someone who is described in, um, in the New Testament, in Luke 10, if you want to go there, feel free to, but you don't really need to, um, when Jesus is talking about the Good Samaritan. He's talking to someone who's described as an expert in the law. So this is what I aspire to be, an expert in the law. <laughs> Probably not going to achieve that, but that's all right. And Jesus is, is having a conversation with this, with this person. And when this person asks him a, a question, Jesus answers with a very simple question. The man gives a great answer on what it is to, to enter the kingdom of heaven, to, to, to get there. And he says, essentially, to love God and love others. And Jesus says, this is absolutely correct. And again, another simple interaction this man or woman, we don't, I think it's probably, it was probably described as a man if I read that right, says, how do I do this? And this is where Jesus gives what I've trying to be, what I've tried to do over the last few years as a children's pastor. And Jesus gives a simple explanation. He tells a story. Because stories are accessible, understandable, and stories invite anyone in. And so Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He uses things that are relatable to this person. He talks about religious leaders, which would have been someone who would have been an expert in the law as well. And these religious leaders pass this, this man bleeding on the side of the road. And then the person who stops to help him is a Samaritan, someone who everybody would have known. Everybody would have known and probably shared a lot of um, animosity, hatred, Ill, Ill feelings towards, but everybody would have related to that. 
who was listening to Jesus say that story. And then this is the thing that I love most about this particular passage, is at the end of that story, Jesus gives an instruction. He asks a question to the man, and he said, who is this man's neighbor? And of course, because the story was so easily available, the man says, it was the, the man who helped him. And this is where Jesus nails simplicity, done and dusted, and he says, go and do likewise. And for me, that's what, that's what it's all about. That's the why and the necessity of simplicity. It's so that we can go and do likewise. Sometimes we need a complicated concept explained simply so that we can go and do likewise. The why is when we have a, such a beautiful thing as faith, it should be accessible and available to anyone. And Jesus, in telling this story, enables anyone listening to that story to have an accessible, available explanation of what faith is all about. It's about loving God, loving others, and going and doing likewise. And so when we, when we look at the why, the first, the first thing is, of course, because Jesus did it, so should we. <laughs> um, we need simplicity to make sure that in our journey along this road that we don't get completely lost because we're looking at a map book. We need the simplicity of turn left here, turn right here. And that guides us as we, as we go along the road so that we don't end up getting lost. And I think the, the how in this is something that I've actually I've learned a lot here as the children's pastor in the room out there, but also in here. I think Vic is someone who does this incredibly well. He's someone who gets up here and he tells us stuff in accessible language. So saying something like, I don't know, repenting, that's something, I don't know, who's used the word repent outside of the church in the last month? <laughs> Have I used the word repent outside in the church? <laughs> yeah, I haven't been telling Ellie to repent. At least, at least not much. <laughs> um, but just something like that is something that we don't even realize because often we've been in the church for so long that the simplicity of our language, what we think is simple, is actually not. And so this is something that I noticed Tim did in a sermon, I don't know, two months ago, a month ago. Talked about the word repent. 30 seconds to explain that that meant turning around and moving in a different direction probably butchered that a little bit, but that's all right. So it's, for me, the first step in the how is making sure, oh, it's all right. Making sure that we make our language accessible and available to other people. Because as we talk about our faith in this building, we might use a whole bunch of language that's not accessible, understandable, and available to other people. It's like if Google Maps told you to turn 75 degrees northwest. Like, would, would you know which way to go? Probably not. So maybe that might mean that we take a look at our Christian language and we say, you know what? Let's see how we can make that accessible to someone who might never have ventured into this building. Who it might be the first time that they walk through the door in here and instead of giving them language that 
some people might understand. Let's give them language that everybody understands. And I think Jesus did that through story, and that's something that all of us can do because all of us have a story. And as Matthew said before, write down your story. It's easy to relate to somebody's story because we all experience and we all go through this road of life together. And that shared experience unites us. And so the last thing for, for how in this simple thing and the last takeaway is I encourage you to, as Jesus said, to, to love God, to love others, and to go do, go do likewise. And so as, as, we, as we come to the end of that, that's really what I've learned from a few years as a children's pastor and a few more years helping kids is sometimes you need just a couple of instructions. And, yeah, and that's, I guess, how I want to live my life is love God, love others, and go do likewise. But... Why don't we all stand? Haven't we had a rich morning? Haven't we had a lot of engagement? I'm just going to close in prayer and just allow a little moment for you to, because there was a whole lot of things, weren't there? Not just in our nines, but in worship and, and, and interviews and meeting people and stuff. We just, just want to allow us just a moment to pause and say, well, what's our takeaway? So God, we, we thank you for each and every person who's contributed this morning. We thank you for the people alongside us. Can we just take a moment before we go out into our other activities of the day just to, just to allow the most important thing for us just to take root for a moment. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.